With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome in once again into the Pipeline podcast. Jordan Schusterman is, actually I don't know where Jordan is, but he's not here with us. I think he's on vacation. So uh, this week it's just uh, myself, Jonathan Mayo, and of course Jim Callis. Jim, we can uh, we can handle podcasting duties without Jordan. Yes, we can. Uh, we've, we've got some good uh, we've got some good stuff to talk about here. So uh, let's get to it. We've got some big league call ups. Uh, we we've got some good stuff on top farm systems uh, to talk about. Both Jim and I wrote stories uh, on this most improved farm system, and uh, we will finish things off with my interview with recently traded shortstop prospect Jazz Chisholm. Yeah, no, he was he was great in the fall league. Though the only disappointment with Jazz Chisholm in the in the fall league, uh, on the field or or in post game interviews, was that he was only on the taxi squad. So we did not get Jazz Chisholm five days a week. We got him twice a week. But he was he was one of the more exciting players in the in the fall league last fall. It, it's possible I asked him whether or not he would want to go back to the fall league. So spoiler alert: if it's up to him, he would love to go back to the fall league. So hopefully we'll get to see him again five days a week instead of two. Um, let's, let's start by talking about some, some call-ups, uh, among the better, you know, some of the top prospects in baseball. And we haven't really talked about Bo Bichette, even though he has been up, uh, in, uh, in the big leagues now for a little over a week, but listen, we always knew he could hit (laughs) what he has been doing since he's been called up has been absolutely ridiculous. He's 17 for his first 41. It's a 415 average and a 1259 OPS. Now, obviously, Jim, he's not going to hit 400 uh, over the course of his career uh, or even likely for the rest of this season. We are seeing the very best that Bo Bichette brings to the table as an offensive player since he's been called up to Toronto, haven't we? Well, we, we have, and it's interesting because he made he wasn't obnoxious about it and, and he wasn't screaming and yelling, but he made the comment earlier in July that, he basically had done everything he thought he needed to do. You know, they would tell him when he was ready, but I think somebody asked him the question, what did he need to work on to get to the big leagues? And his answer was nothing. Like, I mean, not in a cocky way, but like, look, I've improved my defense. I, I've adjusted to AAA pitching. You know, I've done everything they've asked me to. I'm just waiting for them to make the call, and, and I'll be ready when they when they do. And he, and he has been. And, and I feel like I tell this Bo Bichette story all the time. I'll tell it again. Like the first time I saw Bo in person was at the, the 2015 Under Armour game. And there was a lot going on in his swing. And I remember thinking, geez, you know, it's a really busy setup. How's that really going to play against professional pitching? And the answer is it, it, it plays pretty well. Like, like, you know, he's got a lot of bad speed. You know, it, it's a good timing mechanism for him. You know, he was the youngest batting champion uh, since, I think, the 1960s in his first full season. And, you know, he, he's hit for power as well. And, and the thing, Jonathan, that, that's kind of impressed me about him is, you know, he was, a, he was a high draft pick, obviously, because of his offensive ability. And like a lot of these guys, you know, who, who are high school infielders, almost all of them play shortstop for their high school teams. There's 
it seems like there's a lot of times there's a question, you know, can this guy stay short? And early in his career, it was like, no, he's not really going to stay short. You know, maybe second base, maybe third base if they move Vlad Jr. to a different position. And I don't think he's ever going to win a gold glove. But I, I do think that unlike a lot of guys who love to hit, and he does love to hit, he also has spent a ton of time putting in real effort on his defense. You're not just taking ground balls, but, but working to get better. And I think he's gotten a lot better defensively, Jonathan, to the point where, again, he won't win a gold glove, but I think he can play shortstop for a while in the big league. So what have you been impressed with, with, by with, with Bo Bichette along the way? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a lot of it because I think there is – he's always had a little bit of that swagger. Um, you said you said not he wasn't being cocky. I was like, well, you know, there's a little cockiness there, and, and you need that. But sometimes you could have a player who's the son of a big leaguer who really can hit and doesn't want to necessarily put the work in uh, to to improve all facets of his game. And I went back and looked at his draft report. And we had him 90 in the top in the draft top 200, um, and I will take some blame for that one um, because I do Florida. And, but a lot of the issues that you talked about uh, were a lot of the why people were not uh, not on him as much and. Uh, he's like, he's gotten faster as he's matured. Uh, he's not a burner, but he, he, he moves better. And that's, uh, that has a lot to, a lot to do with it. And, you know, even with the moving parts of his swing, um, he, he has an understanding of how it works. You mentioned that, you know, that the timing works. He has employed, a two strike approach for much of his pro career. I, I don't think he's going to do it forever, but he simplifies everything and spreads out. And for much of the first part of his career in the minor leagues was very content, just not moving much and shooting the ball down the right field line. Uh, you know, the opposite way uh, for extra base hits. Um, and it just, you know, will that work again in, in the big leagues once they figure out that's what he's going to do? No. Uh, eventually, big league pitchers are going to start, you know, probably jamming him inside on that. He can inside out the ball, though. You know, so it'll be his ability to adjust it will, will come into play. But I think it showed a knowledge beyond what people thought when all they saw was this really kind of clunky looking swing, you know, in terms of in terms of his mechanics. So, yeah, it just, uh, you know, I kind of like when a guy kind of says, you know what, I, I should, I should be up there. And then he gets caught up and he just goes off. You know, he, he does exactly what he said he was ready to do, at least uh, in the short term and just adds another exciting young player to that big league Blue Jays lineup. Yeah. And speaking of adding player, you know, exciting young talent to lineups already have a lot of exciting young talent. You know, we saw Dustin May get called up. Uh, made his first big league start Friday against the Padres. Did you get to see any of the highlights of that, Jonathan? What what, what was your take on? I I didn't I I did not. Uh, so you know I mean obviously what he is capable of doing uh, is a lot. You know you, you're not going to take anything off of off of the one start. Uh, he did you know pitch into the sixth. Uh, it, it was uneven, I guess. You know. Uh, it is amazing that a guy you know comes up for his 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 major league debut. It's a pennant race. He's 21. He doesn't walk anybody. Uh, but 
just looking at the numbers, I'm, I'm guessing he, he just was uh, his command within the strike zone wasn't quite as good as it normally has been. Cause this is a guy who has uh, all of the ingredients to be, you know, a, a middle of the rotation, if not better uh, start at the big league level. Don't you think? Yeah, no, I do. I mean, and, and, like I looked at it too, like it's his first start. And, you know, looking at the positives, he didn't walk anybody. He got a ton of ground balls, which is what he does. I mean, he has probably one of the best fastball packages in terms of velocity. He sat around 96 miles an hour in his big league debut, and he just has a ton of run and sink on it. Gets a lot of ground balls. You know, he he relied heavily fastball cutter in his first start. You know, it'll be interesting because you know we have, as you well know. And our, and our listeners who if they, if they visit the site know anytime a top 100 prospect makes his debut in the big leagues, we, we do a little story on, on what to expect. And, you know, I have the Dodgers. So Dustin May was, was in my purview. And so I was, I was emailing with Ken Gurnick, our Dodgers writer, asking him about the role. And he thought that realistically, even though they need him as a starter now, cause they have some guys banged up that realistically that he was more auditioning to be, a reliever, you know, in the postseason, and it, and it was interesting in that regard to me, because they tried to do this with Walker Bueller a couple of years ago, and Bueller um, came up to the big leagues in September and was kind of uneven, and they wound up leaving him off the, the postseason roster, and or at least off the World Series roster. And with, I, I saw a story, I think it was on the Athletic this morning, Jonathan, where. It, it was talking about Dustin Mayne's debut and how, you know, they may be trying to use him in the bullpen. And Walker Bueller told the Dodgers, he was talking to them about Dustin May earlier in the year, and he said, hey, if you're calling him up, if you're thinking about using him in the bullpen this postseason, it would probably help him out a lot to call him up before September to give him some time to get acclimated. So I thought that was kind of an interesting time. I can't remember who wrote the piece. I, I'm pretty sure it was The Athletic. It might have been Andy McCullough. Um but uh, it, it was it was very interesting to see that 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 maybe because they felt like Walker Bueller wasn't quite ready enough to help him out of the bullpen because they didn't give him enough time to get acclimated at the big league level. If maybe we'll see that with uh, with Dustin May, you know, going forward, uh, you know, in September and October. And it, and it was Andy McCullough who, who did. I'm looking here who did write that story. So I thought that was interesting. Good to get proper due. Um... I love that, you know, the Dodgers, uh, we talked a lot about this, um, you know, they came up a lot, uh, obviously on deadline day. Uh, and I, you know, I did some network stuff, uh, you know, talking about the prospects and they didn't, you know, they didn't trade Dustin May. Uh, they didn't trade Gavin Lux. Uh, they didn't trade K. Barry Ruiz. Uh, and one of the things I love is that this is a team that, you know, could spend as much as they really wanted to. And they often do. But they're also willing to promote from within and bring up a 21-year-old to make a big league debut late in the year when they're, you know, trying to, prepare, you know, get, you know, get themselves ready for for the postseason. So I like that that they do that. Um, kind of on the flip side, obviously, are the, the Miami Marlins, and uh, they are, you know, very much in rebuilding mode. More on that in a little bit. But we wanted to touch on Isan Diaz. Uh, who was red hot uh, in in AAA uh, post All Star break? He had an OPS over a thousand, uh, and for the year has had a very nice year in in AAA. Three hundred five with twenty six homers, uh, a, b- a bunch of walks, not a ton of strikeouts. Kind of doing Isan Diaz type things, and then he gets called up, and 
he's only you know he's only got the one hit in 11 at bats so far but the one hit was a homer did you see that video jim yeah it was pretty cool they were interviewing his dad as he hit it and his dad just went berserk and i want to say I think I met his dad in the fall league when Isan was there a couple of years ago. His dad came up and introduced himself to me. He was actually excited that, that MLB pipeline was very high on his son's, uh, son's chances. But yeah, that, that was a pretty cool moment to watch that. You know, not, not just a big league home run, but, uh, to hit it off Jake DeGrom too. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, against any big leader would be cool, but I guess, uh, DeGrom and that was, I love that. Cause the, the dad was going nuts as any dad would, uh, uh or any parent. But also, like, was just the fact that it was against DeGrom. He just, you know, couldn't stop. And it was good timing by the um, Marlins sideline reporter uh, to get him what he did. But I, the pure emotion and joy of that moment uh, was so incredible. And, you know, just to, for him to get it, his first big league hit was a home run. And, I, you know, I think he's going to settle in uh, eventually. Uh, well, Diaz, you know, and... There's going to be some more homers to come, and it may, it may take him a little bit to adjust. I could see him uh, having a bump or two, but if I'm the Marlins, uh, I'd just send him out there every day and and let him get used to the level. No, I mean, you should. I mean, they're not going to contend next year, but, I mean, there really wasn't much more for him to prove in AAA. He had, he had played there at the end of 2018, um, although he didn't have a whole lot of success there. And, you know, maybe we'll see in the new CBA – uh, we'll have some rule changes so this will be more often. But it would have been very easy for the Marlins to say, hey, you know, you know, Esau needs to work on making more consistent contact or, you know, playing better defense and we'll see him next April type of thing and held his service time down. But but there's really no reason to do like, – I, I mean, I guess there would be service time considerations to do that. But, like, on talent, like, he was ready for a shot. And, and you might as well find out this guy can play so you can start making some decisions – you know, going forward, uh, you know, he's had, he, he confounds me a little bit as a prospect, Jonathan, because I mean, his best tool is obviously his power and he can hit the ball out of the park to all fields. And he's got really good hand eye coordination. He'll draw walks. And you think this guy should hit for average. And he's a career 263 hitter in the minor leagues um, who hit 222 and then 232 the previous two seasons in, in, in the middle levels of the minors. And I, I still don't know exactly what I think he's going to become. He's had a very nice year. Yes. You know, the triple a balls are jacked up. Um, you know, and like I said, he's got the tools to hit for average, but he also is very aggressive and, and pull happy. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. You know, he had kind of more of a, uppercut swing and hit a lot of fly balls early in his career. And he kind of has flattened his stroke out more recently. I mean, I, I do think there, that the, there's a reality in there where maybe Isan Diaz is a 280 hitter, which I know sounds funny considering he hit 260 in the minors before he got called up, you know, for, for six seasons. I mean, it's not a, a small sample size, but I, I still think that, that there might be a, a 280, 25 home run second baseman in there. Uh, you know, if he adapts his approach a little bit. Yeah, that's pretty good. So I'm just looking at you know his walk and strikeout rate. His walk rate is actually down a little bit from what he did in Double A last year, um, but the strikeout rate is is down a good amount too. It's still, he's still walking. He's got an eleven over eleven percent walk rate. So uh, you know, I think the more that he can bring those rates to each other, 
the better chance he has of, of unlocking that that 270 280 hitter i i agree with you um so uh and i and i also agree with your point like they i think they also needed you know you don't call a guy up solely for sort of public relations or marketing but they need to get some of those young guys up to the big leagues so the you know the the Marlins fans can see what the fuss is about. You know, there's been a lot of talk about their farm system late. We're going to talk about them a little bit more in, in a second. And, and I think he was the one who was really the most ready. He's 23. It's not like he's 20. Uh, they're not rushing him. So it, it, I think all of that, all of that made sense. Um, but there is a lot of excitement uh, with, with the Marlins because they're on the rise. We'll put a pin in that. Uh, because Jim, you did uh, a story where we ranked the top 15 farm systems. The Marlins are on that list, but let's really focus on on those systems at the at the at the very top. Um, I guess the very very top didn't really change from from preseason. Yeah, well, the Padres are number one for the the fourth ranking in a row. We rank these. Uh, twice a year, you know, you and, and I and Mike Rosenbaum all all vote on this and sort this stuff out, and and it's it's interesting because it's not based by any means solely on top 100 prospects, but I do think the fact that the Padres went out and acquired Taylor Trammell and the Rays traded Jesus Sanchez right before we did the rankings probably made the difference in the Padres being one and the Rays two, and I haven't. Eyeballed it, but you know Luis Urias is going to graduate off of our list in the next week or so, and I wonder if we rank these at the end of August, if the Rays might not be number one. I mean, these are truly a snapshot in time. Uh, you know, it's it's at at that exact moment. But that said, I mean, it's amazing to me, Jonathan, that the Padres are number one because if you just look at this year alone, and they've had other young guys come up last year, but this year alone they've graduated. Fernando Tatis Jr., Chris Paddock, Francisco Mejia, Josh Naylor, and Cal Quantrill. Now, Fernando Tatis Jr. was number two on our top 100 list coming into the year. Mejia and Paddock were in the upper third. Naylor and Quantrill have been on the list before. That, that, that's a great year for any farm system. And anyway, you take all those guys out of the mix, they still have more top 100 prospects than any team. They still have the best pitching tandem, lefty-righty, and Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino. You know, Urias is still part of that farm system. He's one of the best pure hitters in the minors. Taylor Trammell is one of the best all-around athletes in the minors. Their, their first-round pick this year, C.G. Abrams, seems like he gets two or three hits every game he plays. And they've got a ton of depth behind all those guys, too. I, I just think in recent years, I don't know if anybody has done as good a job of, of, of doing well in the draft and doing well internationally than the, than the Padres. Yeah. I think you add in the fact that, yeah, they, they lost all those guys. It shows you how deep they were. And then the guys that they did have took jumps forward, right? So Luis Patino, who was always really interesting to us has had, you know, a tremendous full season debut. We all saw what he did in the futures game uh, on the spotlight clearly enjoyed uh, being under that spotlight, uh, Xavier Edwards, uh, another guy who, you know, intrigued us, uh, and is having, I, I would have to, I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say better than expected first full season. He's been really good. Uh, add in, uh, and this doesn't even really figure into it because we kind of 
ranked C.J. Abrams more based on reports than what he'd been doing, but he certainly hasn't hurt his case by tearing up the Arizona League and getting promoted to full season ball as a high schooler out of this year's draft class. So not only were they really, really deep, and they added Tramiel, but a lot of guys that were already there have taken nice steps forward to, to sort of uh, take the spots of those top 100 guys who, who graduated. Uh, you mentioned the Rays, Jim, and it is almost one in one A. I, I, I kind of like you said, it, it's weird to think that like one player could shift the balance, but when it's that close, um, I, I think, you know, it, it's understandable. Um, but there is, there's just so much talent in it, and it reflects what the Padres had in terms of better, better drafting and doing a really nice job. Um, internationally, especially with, uh, with Brujan and Ronaldo Hernandez, uh, you know, and then, you know, the, the, the Chris Archer trade brought in town. Some of them have already graduated, but Shane Baz is on the top 100. Uh, and that's just the guys in the top 100. Uh, they're not a team. Either one of us does. It's one of uh, Mike's teams, but anytime I go over there and look at like their 11 through 30, I do get a little, uh, I do get a little list envy. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, I, I think that system's going to, continue to look formidable and maybe even better in the next coming years. Uh, you know, Brennan McKay will probably graduate, but Wander Franco, who's the number one prospect on our top 100, isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and, you know, they've had a ton of first, they've had six first round or supplemental first round picks in the last two drafts. And I think only one of those guys is on the top 100 right now. And that would be Matthew Libertor. But Shane McClanahan has come up in our discussions uh, a little bit. We've had um, you know, Nick Schnell, who's our other first round pick last year, uh, is a guy we've, you know, I, I think who, who's going to continue to move up lists. You know, Greg Jones, this year's first rounder, JJ Goss, Seth Johnson. These are all talented guys. And, and they, they just have done, uh, you know, a nice job. And it's not just those early picks. You know, they got Nate Lowe, you know, low in the draft, no pun intended, you know, neither Brujan nor Ronaldo Hernandez were, you know, you know, premium, you know, seven figure international signings. So I, I just think they do a, a, a really, really nice job of finding talent that, that it, you know, sure you take advantage of all those picks, but they also, you know, can, can find, you know, talented players without spending a ton of money or, or having a first round choice. Right. I think that pun was intended by the way. No, it, it was. It, I didn't realize it was. It was going to be there until I until I said it. So, well, way to take advantage of the opportunity. I uh, I think they've also gotten back to sort of what had worked for them in past drafts and being a little more aggressive after high end talent um, <clears throat> instead of necessarily uh, you know they've gotten a little conservative. We've talked a lot about their 2011 draft when they had so many picks and how almost nothing, <clears throat> nothing came of that outside of, of one really good player in Blake Snell. Uh, but they've gotten back to sort of what worked for them, I think. All right. Number three on the list is the Dodgers. We've, we've sort of talked a little bit about their system and they actually moved up four spots. It doesn't seem fair for a team that keeps winning division titles. Uh, you know, they haven't been able to, sort of, you know, be the last team standing, but they've done it a lot with a lot of homegrown talent. I think that's one of the reasons why they 
weren't willing to trade Gavin Lux. And I'm, I'm not even saying they should have traded Gavin Lux for in a, in a Vasquez trade or for anybody, but the success that they've had with Bellinger, Bueller, Seager, even Peterson, uh, Alex Verdugo now, like I could see why they're like, yeah, you know, I think we were, we're better off just letting that guy hit his way to the big leagues and, and, and giving us an addition that way. And they just keep churning out these players. It's amazing. Yeah, they do. I mean, and obviously they're not picking high in, in the draft every year, but you know, I mean, this year alone, you know, you know, and these guys still qualify as prospects and their system will take a little hit if these guys graduate, but you know, Will Smith has taken over their catching job and he's off to a great start. And, you know, even if he doesn't hit a home run every third game, he's got, you know, elite receiving skills. You know, we, we just talked about Dustin May got called up, you know, Gavin Lux, there's not really a clear opening, but you know, he looks certainly ready to play. Uh, you know, Tony Gonsolin, who's got a really live arm has been up this year and it's, it's, it's it's interesting because you know that you know they just keep bringing more and more talent in. I mean, you know they made the big offseason Yasiel plea trade with the with the Reds. You know Matt Kemp was in that and and, and other guys, and they wanted to clear up forty man spots and save money. And oh by the way, they got you know Josiah Gray, you know right hander who's knocking on the door of the top one hundred prospects list, and Jeter Downs, a shortstop who's not too far off the top one hundred. And they had a pair of first round picks in this year's draft and, and they got a pair of, of slugging infielders in Cody Hosey and Michael Bush. And, you know, last year in, in 2018, they got the bet, they got our top ranked international amateur in Diego Cartaya, who, who's a, who's a catcher who, who's off to a hot start in the Arizona league. And, you know, and they even have a nice depth of guys like, you know, Matt Beatty wasn't a high pick and he's contributed off the bench. And Edwin Rios is back in the big leagues and he wasn't a high pick. And, you know, you know, DJ Peters is knocking on the door. I mean, he's going to probably wind up with 30 home runs this year. And I mean, he was only a fourth round pick. So I think, I, I don't think there's, there's a system or an organization that has paired winning at the big league level with, you know, producing talent as well as the Dodgers. And, and Jonathan, we've been ranking Farb systems. You know, we've done eight rankings. Now we started the, before the 2015 season and the Dodgers are the only team that have been on all eight of our lists. That's you know, they, they, you know, and then during that time, you know, they've continued. You know, it's you look at the teams that preceded them. They were number one on our list at the beginning of 2016. Well, the teams that, you know, preceded them were, you know, the, the Red Sox were their immediate predecessor. And they've won a World Series. But, you know, they've traded and graduated guys and their system is no longer anywhere close to one of the strongest in baseball. And the team that topped our first ranking was the Cubs. And they also won a championship and they graduated and traded a lot of guys, too. And now their system's no longer uh, as good. But yet the Dodgers were number one in 2016 and they're number three and they've been to the last two World Series. So it's it's very, very hard, especially with the rules in baseball today that limit your spending internationally, that, you know, super limit you in the draft compared to in the past where you could spend what you wanted. Now you get a very small pool. If you're, you're going to world series every year, like the Dodgers are, and, and they're still finding talent. So it's just an amazing job there. It, it is amazing. Cause I, I do believe that in general, it is impossible to in perpetuity continue to win and have a deep farm system. I, I just think it's, it's, it's extremely difficult. Now the Dodgers haven't, gotten the ring like the Cubs did or like the Royals did. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but they've managed, as you said, to, to continue to do that. 
All right, so those are the top three teams. All three were top 10 uh, before the season began. But we took a look, uh, and this was actually really fun to, to, to look at, not just ranking the top farm systems, but who were the most improved farm systems? And I, uh, I ticked off a half a dozen. Um, the first two are number four and five on your top 15 rankings. Um, it's the Marlins and the, and the D-backs. Uh, they're followed up by the Orioles, uh, the, the Giants, the Rangers, and the Mariners. Uh, all of them are in the top 15 except for the Giants, and the Giants were not that far behind. It's fun to me because you see the Mariners and the Giants and the Orioles and the, and the, you know, the Diamondbacks. All these teams are teams that we've, for a while now, have kind of been at the bottom. We haven't done a top 30, but if you look at other publications or just thinking about it informally, have been at the bottom, uh, at least the bottom third uh, of Major League Baseball. And now here they are uh, in the top half, uh, maybe in the top five. So let's start with the Marlins, who it seems have sort of gotten it. This, you know, they, they we want to sort of make the metaphor of a hit or they're struggling and then now they're sort of locked in in terms of, player acquisition in, in a rebuild. Uh, obviously, the offseason, Real Muto and, and Yelich trades, they brought in a bunch of guys. But then they brought in two top 100 guys at the deadline, and Jesus Sanchez and, and Jazz Chisholm. They got J.J. Bleday with the number four overall pick. Uh, and even Cam Misner is, is you know, really interesting. And then they had guys, uh, you know, sort of like I was saying, uh, with the Padres, they've had guys who've been in their system who took really nice steps forward this year. So the Marlins now are, are a really fun farm system to write about. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, they, I think they've gotten better at, at making trades as they've gone along. You know, it, it's amazing how you might get a little bit more market value for a guy if you don't tell everybody you have to trade him and he must go. Um, so I'll give him credit for that. Um, you know, they, you know, you know, it's not just JJ Bleday and Meisner, you know, Nassim Nunez is another interesting draft guy. Uh, you know, Evan Fitterer is an interesting draft guy. Uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, having guys get better. That, that's it. It seems like, yeah, that's the goal, but it's not always easy. Guys don't de- develop in a, in a, in a linear fashion. It's not like a straight, you know, or a line that, that it increases at a, a constant rate, but they've had a number of guys get better. You know, Isan Diaz got a lot better this year. Edward Cabrera, um, right-handed pitcher who was international son, got a lot better. A couple of their former first-round picks, Braxton Garrett and Trevor Rogers, have gotten a lot better. And even guys who are who are less known, you know, like Gerard Encarnacion, wasn't really on anybody's radar. I mean, and he's broken out as one of the better power hitters in the system. So, you know, they've 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 made a ton of strides this year. Uh, you know, which is what they need to do. Obviously, they're rebuilding. You know, and it's interesting. You know, you and I, I think, both agreed that you know they and the Dimebacks were the two most improved farm systems. The, the Dimebacks are coming at it from a little bit of different angle, where they're trying to. They're not a hundred percent. You know, hey, we're all in on contending, but they're not trying to just do a total rebuild and, and take a huge step back. And it, it's uh, it, it's interesting, Jonathan. I mean. They added a lot of talent too, and I'll let you talk about that in a second. But they've also had guys 
take steps forward this year. Um, you know, Alec Thomas and Christian Robinson were in the system and everybody knew they were talented and, and they've now gone out and they, they've shown that, you know, Christian Robinson just got to, to low class a and Alec Thomas just got promoted to high class a, but they, they've shown what they can do in full season ball, but guys like Levi Kelly, who, who was an eighth round pick last year, uh, you know, he was an over slot guy, you know, he, he was from IMG Academy, but it wasn't like we were talking about Levi Kelly as a, you know, top two rounds guy and Levi Kelly has looked tremendous. You know, he's taken a big step forward. Um, you know, Luis Frias, who was, a, uh, I think a third baseman when he signed by the Diamondbacks and moved him to the mound. He's looked really good. He just got to low class A. So in addition to all the guys that they've added, and I'll let you talk about those right now, Jonathan, I mean, they've also had guys get a lot better this year. Right. Um, no, agreed. Uh, and they were able, uh, you know, again, it sort of started last year. They had a, they had a solid draft in 2018. Um, and then this year they had, you know, so many picks and we think they did really well with it. Obviously we need to wait and see, but, uh, you know, we all love Corbin Carroll. Uh, and then they also got Brennan Malone. Oh, it's and Blake Walston, uh, and all three are in their top fifteen, uh, and then add in the the Zach Greinke trade, which while like I, I tried, you know, when we were analyzing this trade, especially as it was happening, to sort of not go too crazy with the return they got, um, understanding that it was an unwieldy contract and all that kind of stuff, but they still got three players, you know, three of the Astros' best prospects. And Seth Beer, he's going to hit. It's just a question of what position he's going to be able to play. But, you know, so he slots in, uh, you know, at, at number four. And then J.B. Bukowskis and Corbin Martin, who have a lot of question marks next to their name, but also have uh, a lot of potential as right-handed pitchers, are at 11 and 12. So this is a system that's really interesting in that there's not – right now guys who are like elite level guys, you know, I think Alec Thomas took a step in that direction. I think Christian Robinson might eventually get to that point. He's really, really good. He's only 18, uh, but it's more depth than anything else. And they had, what did, did they have the most overall 50 grades of any top 30 list? If I, if I recall correctly. They might have. I, I did not count that up, but I know, I know we have that number somewhere, and I think you might be right on that. Uh, yeah, I, th I thought I saw that in one of the nine million emails that got, you know, or, or messages that, that thrown around as we were posting the re-rank. So uh, there, there is a lot of good talent uh, on its way up for uh, for the Diamondbacks. So that makes that uh, exciting for, for them as well. Yeah, no, it, it's two systems definitely on the rise. All right. Well, so I think we've covered all the ground that we need to cover. Jim, as always, it's a pleasure chatting with you. And I think Jordan will be back with us next week. We're going to leave you with my interview uh, with Jazz Chisholm, who was with the Diamondbacks. Imagine how much more improved. I guess if Jazz Chisholm was still in the Diamondbacks, maybe in the most improved list uh, and in the top 15 ranks, I wonder if we would have flipped them. He's, you know, he went from the Diamondbacks to the Marlins. He's obviously had a, a very kind of strange year uh, this year, uh, his first in double A, where the power has shown up, hasn't hit as much for average. We covered all of that 
we covered dealing with the trade. And of course, we can't talk to Jazz Chisholm without talking about baseball in the Bahamas. So here it is uh, to send you out of this week's Pipeline podcast, my interview with New Marlins prospect Jazz Chisholm. Welcome into the Pipeline podcast, Jazz Chisholm, shortstop, now with the Miami Marlins organization. Uh, Jazz, does that, does that sound all right to you? Are you still getting used to, to being known as a, a Miami Marlins prospect? Uh, yeah, I'm still trying to get used to it. I always think someone's going to say the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's still kind of me, but I'm happy to be a Miami Marlins. How did you find out about the trade? What was your first reaction? Obviously, like everyone knows, it's a part of baseball. But until it happens to you, uh, I would imagine it's it's much, uh, you know, it's it's hard to take in. H- how have you been able to handle everything that's gone on over the last week? It w- I was sad and happy at the same time, you know, going to Miami, getting to play with Anthony Seymour and Monte Anderson, Isan, guys like the guys that I know and are pretty close with was the happy part of it. But the sad part of it was leaving, leaving the D-backs, getting the call from our GM and farm director saying that, I just got traded. It was kind of sad leaving the guys that I've been with for the last four years, basically leaving my parents, basically with the D-bags. I would imagine that being, you know, a tiny bit older, does that make it a little easier? Not that you're, you know, ancient, you're 21, but as opposed to it happening when, say, you were 18 and you're really just getting started in your pro career, uh, do, do you feel that, you know, that, that sort of helps us from a maturity standpoint deal with this kind of change? Yes. I mean, if it, I feel like if it happened when I was older, it would have been easier to just go to a new organization and just go play and not think about what's going on over there. Because, I mean, it would, I would just be getting started with them, just getting to know the guys. And, I, I mean, it's a group. It's a great group of guys at the Diamondbacks. But, I mean, it would just be like, oh, well, I just got here and now I'm going somewhere else. So it'd be easier for me to just go somewhere else. Right. Now, I know you, you know, you're just, you know, sort of getting your surroundings. You said, you know, you obviously know people in the Marlins organization, but this is a farm system that's really on the rise. Uh, I know you got to see Sixto Sanchez pitch. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of talent. Uh, how excited are you to be? Uh, I mean, the Diamondbacks are also on the rise, but how excited are you to to be a part of this system that really seems to be, restocking and rebuilding quickly. Oh, I mean, I'm 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 excited to be a part of this system. I mean, being with Miami and just what watching them grow and being behind guys like Sixto and the other guys, I mean, it's great. Getting welcomed from Sixto and Jordan Yamamoto and guys that I really know well with the with the Marlins it's just been great. I'm super excited to be a Marlin. And being close to home, right, right, and and you stay you stay in the same league too, right? So at least uh, at least it wasn't a huge transition uh, from one league to that. You're familiar with your opponents already. Yeah. Um, I want to you know uh, sort of switch a little bit to the year that you've had because it's been um, strange. I, I don't know how you would frame the year you've had. Uh, the power continued to show up. Uh, you struggled a lot, especially early in the year. Um, what, what, what have been your takeaways from that, the, those first couple of months and, and how were you able to kind of slowly climb out of the, the, at least the statistical hole that you dug over those first couple of months? I mean, honestly, just trusting the process and trusting myself and then, you know, the Southern league is a tough league to hit in. 
And I mean, like, it's just, it's just a tough league to hit in. You got great pitches. You got major league arms here. And you just got to learn, you just got to learn the game and focus on the game more and trust the process even more now than you were trusting it back then. Because, I mean, I know you, you get in the box, you can hit a ball hard and then you, you could still get it out. So guys are better on defense in this league in double A. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a lot harder to play the game in double A, even though it might look easy for some guys and, I feel like it's just keeping my confidence up too. Honestly, it's just keeping my head up and knowing that I'm still a great player. Well, confidence is one thing that uh, I have not seen you lack at, uh, in, in the times that we've talked. So I think that is working in your favor. Uh, is that some? Did you have to remind yourself of that? I mean, because yeah, everyone goes through slumps. Everyone has trouble adjusting to a new level, especially you know, especially double A. But it, it was a pretty prolonged stretch of time probably more than you've ever struggled since since you entered pro ball did you have to remind yourself of that all right stick with what with, with what's worked for you what got you here uh or was it just something that came you know sort of naturally that you, you didn't have to remind yourself too much it's it's something that comes naturally you know that i really don't have to remind myself about too much because i just tell myself i have a little stick on a locker that a kid made for me saying don't forget that you're great so I mean, little stuff like that always trigger me to remind to remind myself, don't forget you're going to be the best on the field. And you're going to just keep on going through it. So, I mean, like I said, this is probably the most I've struggled statistically. Honestly, I, I, I'm taking a lot out of this year, as in sometimes you don't get as lucky as you would in low A or high A or rookie ball. Now everybody can be a. You could have three gold glovers in the outfield, and you get a ball to Warren Track and it's getting caught, probably ninety percent of the time. Right, and, right. I mean, guys are making great plays out here, and I just honestly, I just grade my season off of how many great swings I took this season, and that's what I've been taking in this whole season. One of the things that I think people point to for you, um, and I think we, we talked about it when you were in the Arizona Fall League, was just uh, finding that balance between being an aggressive hitter, which works for you, and refining your, your approach. Not, you know, not necessarily cutting way down on the strikeouts. Those are going to, I think, always be a part of your game. But finding that balance. Um, what, what kind of things have you been able to do? Because, again, I think the first part of the year, the strikeouts – where maybe you were trying to do a little too much, but the especially June and July, um, you know, gotten better uh, in, in that regard in terms of maybe cutting down on the swing and miss a, a little bit, drawing a, you know a few more walks to offset it. What what are the kinds of things that you work on during the season to to hone that part of your hitting game? Honestly, I felt like the reason I was striking out a lot more at the beginning of the season is because I was being really passive at the plate and not being my aggressive self at the plate. And I mean, everybody was telling, like, I guess, like the Diamondbacks were always telling me to cut down, cut down on the swing and cut down on the strikeouts. And so I was trying to be more passive in my swing, in my pitch selection and what I swung at. And, and it started to get me to swing and miss a lot more. So, 
I mean, sometimes I got I feel like if I'm more aggressive at the plate, I would my bat to ball skills would be better than me trying to be passive hmm. aggressive. And I mean, since I've come back, came back to the ever since I got traded to the Marlins, I've been super aggressive at the plate. That's it's sort of an interesting take, and I think people don't realize it is that you know, you know, you start trying to pay too much attention to the strikeout totals. So then you look at too many pitches because you think you're being patient and then you end up in really bad counts and that leads to bad swings because you almost feel like, you know, you're down 0-2, you're down 1-2, then you don't have a choice. You, you, you got to wave at whatever comes your way. Yeah. That's exactly huh. um, and let's talk a little bit about the defensive end. We've focused a lot about your offense. Obviously you've got, uh, you know, you've got 20 homers, you've got 13 steals. So it, there, there's a lot you bring to the table there. Um, how have you improved on your defense this year at, at short compared to maybe your first couple of years of pro ball? I mean, I feel like I've just matured better and figured out my internal clock on defense. I feel like that's, that's how you play defense is knowing how, knowing how you play the position that you play and your internal clock, knowing that you don't have to rush and trust your arm or tr trust that you're going to make the play. And I mean, always being aggressive on defense is one of my favorite things about defense is because I mean, every day I try to work on something new on defense. Even if it, if, even if I worked on it a month ago, I'm trying to get back to it in the next 30 days. I'm gonna work on that same thing again. Like every day is something different. I think I, 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 I have a 30 month schedule for defense. I mean, a 30 day schedule for defense. So I just try to keep on doing that Every day I have something different to work on on defense because that's – I just feel like defense is my favorite thing to do on a baseball field, play defense, make a diamond play, make a crazy play, and look at my teammates just be like, wow, that was, that was crazy, man. So would you rather make a game-saving diving play defensively or hit a game-winning homer? I'd rather make a game-saving diving play on defense. That's good to know. I, you know. I don't know how many young players would answer that that way. They may like defense. But, you know, everyone loves loves to hit and, and hit homers. We met, you know, in, in person in, in the Arizona Fall League uh, when you were, on a, uh, you were a taxi squad guy. Uh, you, weren't, you, know, you weren't playing every day, but I knew you were learning a lot. Would you welcome the chance to go back out to the Fall League and, and, and get some more, some more reps knowing how much you were able to take away from, from that league last year? Oh, yeah, 100%. I would love to go back to the Arizona Fall League because you learn so much and you meet some new guys and – some guys just know different. Everybody knows something different about the game that you don't know. So that's how you learn and grow as a player is from learning from everybody, which I feel is a great experience for anybody to go to the Arizona Fall League for that main reason. Right, well, I can't let you go without asking one question about baseball in the Bahamas. I, I just, you know, I'm, a, I'm kind of obsessed with it. I think maybe I feel if I talk about it enough, someone will send me to the Bahamas to to cover baseball there because that sounds like the perfect job ever um but i wanted to ask you a little bit about one of the guys that you left from your organization christian robinson and you spoke so highly of him it it looks like he's starting to figure it out uh at least based on what he was doing uh in hillsborough and got bumped up recently to the midwest league how as much as you are confident in your own abilities jazz how proud are you when you see a guy like christian sort of seem to click and, and take the, the next step as a prospect. I am 
super happy for Christian every day. I I still I I repost all his home runs on my Instagram and Twitter whenever I see Hillsborough posting because I just that's how proud I am of Christian. He's grown as a kid and he's became he's become a man now and he's just doing his thing. I, I feel like he's figured out the game, figured out himself at the plate, and I feel like he's gonna be a special guy. He might be the next Mike Trout. Wow. All right. Well, we're going to remember this and we'll play it. We'll play it back when uh, when he makes it up to the big leagues and and has that kind of impact. Jazz, uh, I really appreciate it. I know you just got back from from a road trip and this is a day off for you when we're taping this. So I really appreciate you taking some time to chat with me and hope to see you uh, in in Arizona this fall. And if not, uh, definitely next year in spring training and, of course, in a, in a big league stadium near us uh, in the not too distant future. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. We'll talk soon. Take care.